You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferber, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the SPED Prep Academy podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer, and I am a veteran special education teacher just finishing up my 26th year. I started this podcast just about a year ago because I wanted a platform where I could provide other special educators and related service providers with the support, training, and guidance that they need. So I'm so happy you are joining us. If you are enjoying the show, I need to ask a favor. I would love it if you would help me spread the word by sharing the show with your colleagues and your teacher friends. You can also leave a review. It gives an instant boost to my ego, and it helps others find the podcast as well. Before we get into the show today, I want to remind you that I'll be teaching a session on the Intentional IEP Summer PD Series, hosted by the one and only Stephanie Delessi. Stephanie was on the podcast a month or so ago on episode 27, and afterwards she invited me to collaborate on a project with her, and of course, I said yes. If you don't know who Stephanie Delessi is, you might know her as Mrs. D's Corner. Stephanie is goals for me because she has blazed a trail before me when it comes to training special education teachers by providing them with the resources and support they need to become amazing educators. So I'm super excited and extremely proud to be a part of her summer PD series. The sessions will begin rolling out to you on May 17th, which is just around the corner. To get signed up, all you have to do is to go to www.spedprepacademy.com SPD and click the link to enroll. It's only $77 and let me tell you, that is cheap in the world of professional development. You're going to get access to 20 mini professional development trainings that will be dripped out to you each week all the way through July. The sessions include topics like transition, behavior plans, how to include young students in the IEP process, and my session, which is how to write detailed present levels of performance. And as if that wasn't enough, she just keeps adding on bonus after bonus topics like teacher burnout, choosing IEP goals, and so much more. I would have given anything to have had this series back in the day because when you become a special education teacher, no one gives you a handbook that tells you how to be an effective teacher. You are more or less left to sink or swim on your own. But thanks to Stephanie, you have just been given a life raft. And if that's how you've been feeling, if you feel that you are in over your head, that this job is just too much, then I want nothing more than to give you a hand up. So again, that's www.spedprepacademy.com SPD. Today's show is focused on de-escalation, and I'm joined by Kaylin Long from Caffeinated Behavior Change. Kaylin serves her district as the behavior specialist, and throughout the episode, you'll hear real-life examples of how different behaviors were handled, as well as background knowledge on what causes behaviors, how we as teachers can identify when a child is escalating, and strategies to help de-escalate even the most upset child. Well, hi, Kaylin. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I know that this topic is kind of Uh, It's a lot. You know, there's a lot that goes into behavior that we're going to talk about today. But before we get started, you just want to tell everyone um, who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am Kaylin, along with Caffeinated Behavior Change. Um, I am a behavior specialist for our special education department. 
Um, I was a former special education teacher that worked specifically in behavior um, settings um, before getting my BCBA and kind of moving out of that role. So do you support other teachers that are working with behaviors? Yes. So I am in a very small school division, so it's just me um, supporting all nine of our schools. So I um, in part teacher support, part student support, and then some part like professional development for our division. Um, so I support all of our special education teachers, um, depending on where the need is. Well, you know, I've been doing this job for 26 years and behavior is the, I mean, it is the hardest part of this job by far. You know, you you go into this job thinking that you're just going to, you know, teach children, you know, help them catch up or teach them what they need to know to be successful in life. And and then you get a student who kind of just rocks your world because of, you know, whatever's um, going on in their life or whatever issues that they have, you know, the struggles, the traumas. But it, it's extremely exhausting. It's extremely, you know, frustrating when you can't get through to them. And I will say that it's, it is the, it's my nemesis in this job, I guess, because I was never properly trained to, you know, to deal with behaviors. And so kudos to you for, you know, having those degrees and being willing and wanting to work within this part of our job. And that is something I feel like I hear far too often that um, special education teachers and general education teachers alike are not prepared for this um, in their college or even student teaching, whatever they've gone through. There's just very little preparation, um, which is funny because I got into special education with a psychology background. So I was like ready for this. I feel like I was always that teacher. I was like, I would rather teach behavior all day long than like a math lesson. Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever heard that from. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I would much rather be with a student dealing with those things than full-on math or anything else. Well, I think it's uh, the reason it's so hard for teachers is because it's the part that that you take home with you, you know, at the end of the day, the part that you think that you're you're not getting through to them or you don't know what to do and you're put into those positions where you don't feel supported and you feel scared and you feel, you know, overwhelmed and you're bringing all that home and like it or not, you're probably taking it out on your family and the things that are, that have happened at school weigh on you throughout the, throughout the night and over the weekends. And so it's just, I don't know, it's extremely hard. So again, thank you for, for doing this. But the, the first thing I kind of want to ask you is what, what causes a child to be so overwhelmed that, that they are having these breakdowns, you know, what's going on in the brain? What's the brain thinking that's causing this? So there are so many like pieces to that puzzle. Um, And it's one of those answers that we all hate hearing, but I feel like I say it all the time is it really depends. There are some overlapping things. There are definitely some different um, theories and sciences behind all of it, which kind of go with all kids or most, you know, but it really depends on the student. Um, One of the biggest things I think I see day in and day out is just having unmet needs and wants and just not having the skills to use them or not feeling heard when they are trying to communicate something. Um, I feel like one of the things that we hear all the time, and I think it's great to hear it, 
but I kind of always get like a, uh, you know, like when I'm here, behaviors communication. It is. They are communicating something with you. But I think what we miss is what are they like actually telling us we hear and like, what are we taking from it? Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things. So like, where is that breakdown in communication, whatever their communication level may be? What are those needs and wants um, that they have that they're not able to express to us without doing some of the extreme behaviors? Um, and then the other key piece is that um, flipping the lid demonstration. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. Um, it is Dr. Dan Siegel. Um, it's the whole brain child, but and I'm not a brain neuroscience, um, but he talks about the different parts of the brain. So you have um, your like problem solving part of the brain, your uh, and then you have like your emotional um, state, your emotional brain, and then you have your, um, the learning brain. Um, so you have those fight, flight, or fear responses. Um, so as your body is sending you signals of distress, um, and we see those as like our stress and anxiety, um, pieces of, you know, like the fast heart rate, the sweating, dry mouth, your bot, those signals that your bodies are sending you. And then for kiddos and adults alike that we get into the state of fight, flight, or um, freeze. So what are, what is our response going to be? Um, and for our kiddos that don't have, again, these skills or don't feel heard, because I feel like that's another piece of it, they go into this fight, flight, or um, fear response from that. So they take those external factors that are happening around them, have those internal um, signals from their body, and then their emotional brain takes over. And so they kind of, it, it disconnects from that problem solving portion of the brain and it's full emotions. So that's where like the irrationality would come in where they, you know, they aren't, they aren't thinking rationally and they're just, you know, yes. acting on on their emotions. And I feel like if we've ever seen, I mean, I, I've, I've always said this before, I kind of knew all this, but you know, when I was in the classroom, I'm like, you can kind of just see that switch mm -hmm. in the child's face of I'm angry, but I am controlling what's coming out of what's coming out. And you can kind of see that switch into like, Oh, they have completely lost all rational thought and they have no idea what, you know, like what is coming. And you've always had those kids who after a crisis or not always, but like some kids will say like, they don't remember. Mm -hmm. And it's because they really have, their brain has disconnected and they might really not remember what they did, what they said. So can you switch back and can a child switch back and forth between, because I feel like I've been in situations where the child, you know, he seems irrational. He seems like he knows exactly you know, what's going on. And, and then that, like you said, that face will switch and then he'll come back, you know, he'll, he'll have his, his aggressive behaviors and then he'll come back and it seems like he's rational again and he'll go back into it. So is that a possibility or, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I'm being played, you know, <laughs> and yes. it's, it's just, it's so confusing to a person that hasn't been trained in this because I, I honestly don't know. 
Well, and that's where I say it depends because you are going to have these kids where it is completely a body response, a brain response, um, especially looking at our students with more trauma backgrounds, with um, emotional disabilities. Um, And then you will have students, depending on disability, depending on, you know, whatever, that are in complete control. And that's kind of where you get into those, like, what the function is of what... And they may, and there's some students that really are doing it because, like I said, this is the only way they have. They're in complete control because this is the only way, like the manipulation is the only way they know to get what they need or want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, I was actually talking to a teacher the other day, and she was like, he steals all the time. And I said, but if you watch him, and this is not like crisis level, I said, but if you watch him, this is the only way he knows to try and make a friend. So a lot of times, you know, we hear our students are manipulative and it's some of it is just what they know. So it's teaching them the other skills to get those needs and uh, ones met without having to relate to that. So it's one of those, it depends. And really knowing your student and their background um, is the key, you know, really vital to knowing. I feel like, I feel like most teachers, you know, want to try to prevent the meltdown from happening in the first place. And, you know, as a parent and as a teacher, that's always been my first, you know, instinct is to try to figure out, you know, the history of of the issue and try to deescalate it before it ever happens, I guess. So what are what are some triggers or warning signs to look for before, you know, before we let it get to that point where it's so, you know, a big crisis? Yeah. So um, there's, you know, two things. So really, it's all looking at the pattern of it. We hear all the time the ABC model, you know, that antecedent model. Um, So it's looking for those triggers. What is the pattern of what really kind of sets them off? What is triggering these big emotions, these big reactions? And then teaching to those. So it's not just we're avoiding all of our triggers because that's unrealistic to go through life (laughs) with no triggers. And, you know, we're not going to go in and say, just never give this kid work because it makes them so angry. Um, But really teaching these kids the skills that they need um, so that when these triggers happen, when they start to feel these body signals, when they start to feel these big emotions, that we can teach those. Um, So, for example, I think it was my second or third year teacher. I remember I had an assistant. She was like, he keeps grabbing my hair. (laughs) So I was like, okay, let me, you know, like watch and see. This kid had a clear pattern of precursor behavior. So that's one of those, like, what happens before the big ones. Um, But he would scream and grunt. He would slam his fist down on the table, and then he would grab hair. So he had a clear chain of the three things that were happening. So I said, well, you you hear him scream and grunt, get up, <laughs> get out of the way. Um, but it's kind of catching, instead of trying to catch when the big behaviors are happening, let's catch when the precursors are happening and see what's happening then. Um, and just kind of knowing your kid, I hate, I hate to always say it, but like it's really knowing your kids and kind of figuring out is the work too hard? Is the work not fun? Is a, the kid sitting next to him picking on him? Because um, I was called in a few years ago, and they were just like, this girl is refusing to go to math class. I'm like, has anybody 
asked her why. And they're like, well, she hates math. Well, you go in there. She's like, no, he keeps calling me smelly or whatever and making fun of her. So it literally was enough to just say, okay, let's move this kid's desk. <laughs> like, so, um, but it's little things to just be very observant. And I know that's hard to say because as teachers, we always have a million things happening around us. Um, but really kind of picking out those patterns of the precursors of, you know, is he putting his head down? Is he, when we start to see those shoulders slump, um, if they're wringing their hands, fidgeting, kids that are fidgeting and moving and why are they fidgeting and moving so much? Some kids, yeah, they just need to fidget and move. Um, but then other kids, it could be their response to those body signals. So paying attention to those. So I, you, I mean, you kind of, you hit on it and then you, you said that, you know, you hate to keep saying it, but it, it is true. You have to know your kids and you have to, you know, I feel like build those relationships with the kids so that you're able to tell when something's about to happen. But so yes. I liked that you said that. So you try to do everything you can to prevent a crisis from happening, but we can't always do that. And you're, you know, in our field, it's going to happen. Um, what do you do to keep yourself calm in this, in those volatile situations? Because it's hard. It is extremely hard to keep yourself calm and to keep yourself in the right frame of mind where you're not feeling um, negative feelings towards the child, you yes. know? So what strategies or tools do you have for the teacher to remain calm? So I have a couple. <laughs> and the biggest one for me is I always remember the end goal. And this is something I will tell teachers all the time as I'm working with them and trying to kind of coach them through the bigger um, behaviors. And it's really just remembering that goal. And the end goal is to de-escalate that student and give, get that student out of crisis. So if we're throwing discipline at them, if we're throwing consequences at them, if we're, you know, if we're escalating right there with them, we're not bringing them back down. We're not helping them regulate. And it's just going to continue. And so our goal is obviously the safety of the student, the safety of the staff, of the other kids. And the only way to ensure safety is to get regulated. Um, and so that is one of the things that I, and it's hard, it's hard. And there's been times where uh, like I've had amazing assistants and worked with amazing teachers and I can just look at them and we, I'm like, we got to switch because I am, I'm going to lose control of mine. I need to take a step back. So it's also kind of knowing your own, your own signals of, I need a couple minutes, but always trying to remember that really the safety of everybody involved revolves around um, de-escalation and de-escalating this child. So my emotions and feelings have to be pushed aside no matter no matter what they're saying to me, no matter what they're doing to me. But if I really want to keep everybody safe, I've got to remember that and keep that on the back of my mind. The other thing, one of the other ones is just having a plan. I am a planner <laughs> and I am constantly telling teachers of like, write it out, write up a plan. And they're like, no, no, no. And I'm like, but once you have a plan, and yes, you can still be flexible with the plan because obviously things, you know, you, you got to be flexible in those moments. It's, this regulation is not going to follow this like pretty little thing. But if you have a plan, you you have something to focus on so you know what to do. And I think a lot of times when 
we as adults get in trouble is when there's not a plan and you're just grasping at anything to get them back down. And it just doesn't, it's not good because if you're just grasping at anything, you don't know what's going to work. And then your emotions kind of get stirred up because it's not working or that, you know, whatever, but really having a plan is like my number one, like have a plan, write it out. If a kid says this, here's your responses. If a kid does this, here's your responses. Um, and so you're still flexible in the what, because you're responding to what they're doing, but you don't have those big reactions. Um, so we always hear like, re- don't react, respond. Um, because that reaction is kind of your emotions taking over instead of being proactively responding to knowing what they're saying. And they're going to feed off those emotions. They're going to. Yes, they feed off of so much. Um, and you do, you hear that these kids are like, well, they love the fight or, you know, and some of them might, but it might be because they don't, again, they don't have anything else. And a lot of times you see it's because that's what they know. That, unfortunately, is some of the environment they come out of. Or even at school, they only know that this is how adults respond to me. And this is how I know to respond back to the adults, no matter who it's been in their life. Um, but it's all they know. Um, so the other one that I really hold on to also is the co-regulation piece. So I am not standing over them, telling them, calm down, do this, <laughs> but really sitting down with them, practicing our skills together. Um, if I'm saying, you know, let, let's take a deep breath. I'm sitting right there beside them. Let's take these deep breaths together. Let's do this. Let's go on a walk. Um, and so I use those we statements a lot instead of a you need to do this or I need you to do this, but hey, let's do this together. It takes a little of the pressure off, but it also shows that no matter what's happening, I'm right beside them the whole way. I have a para who is really good at that. And I guess I didn't, I didn't realize there was a term to it, co-regulation. And yeah, yeah I learn something new every day. <laughs> it's one of those steps on the like self-regulation. So like self-regulation is obviously like the highest level. Um, when we are able to really regulate our own emotions, thoughts, behaviors, um, which obviously as adults, we're, we still all struggle with. <laughs> we're not right. perfect in this area. <laughs> but so really taking it down to like co-regulating with them. You're in it together. I like that. So what things should teachers do? You know, I think you hit on some of them, but what should teachers do during those crisis situations and what should they not do? So... Always, you know, remain calm. I always, you know, neutral tone of voice, neutral facial expressions. Um, That one's really hard. There are days where I'm like, I'm super glad I have a mask on today because I'm not sure I'm like managing my face today. Uh, (laughs) Day they make me take this off. I'm sure I'm going to like make really funny faces and like meetings and stuff. (laughs) But just keeping control, again, like I've said, I've I've had to walk away because I know I'm not controlling my own emotions, but it really comes down to controlling your own emotions, Um, watching those facial, keeping a neutral tone of voice. A lot of times in adults will just kind of want to talk over the kid. So they get louder, the kid gets louder, the teacher gets louder, the kid gets even louder. Um, So I typically get quieter. 
because sometimes, not every time, they'll kind of stop to like, oh, I couldn't hear her, you know, like, so if I'm quiet, they're going to have to like really pay attention. But the other thing is I want to model the behavior that I want to see. If I'm yelling, I'm giving them permission that yelling's okay. Um, If I'm doing this, it really is showing kids like this is how you respond to this type of behavior. Um, So that's one of them. I think the the one I see is not rushing the process. And I say this all the time, don't rush the process. Because as teachers, like I said, there's a million things happening and academics are very important. And there's other kids to consider. And we have lesson plans to follow. And, you know, administrators want certain things out of us and certain things out of our classroom. And we feel like if these behaviors are happening, people are going to look at us like we're failing because I've been there. I'm like, oh, my goodness, these admins walking by, they're going to think I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) But at the end of the day, if we're trying, I've heard it so many times of hurry up. We don't have time for this. Or I need you to calm down. You need to get to class. I don't know if your spouse or anybody in your life has ever told you like, calm down. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But it will like send me farther over the edge. It never calms me down. But it is something on a daily basis I hear from adults to kids of just calm down. Well, if it was that easy. <laughs> if they knew what that was, you know, they don't even yeah. know what, what does calm down even look like. So, yeah, telling someone to calm down is counterproductive, I think. Yes. And that's huge, too, of what does it look like? And that's a whole nother. <laughs> but if we're teaching calm down, yes, definitely teach them exactly what it looks like and the behaviors that you want them to be doing. Um, The other one is giving them space. And this is a tricky one because this really goes back to, like you said, those relationships and really knowing your student, but is giving them space sitting right next to them in close proximity. Or for some students, it's sitting across the room or sitting far enough away that you're between them and other students, but you still can respond. Um, So I've actually taught kids to tell me, leave me alone. (laughs) And I sometimes get this look from teachers that are like, did you just tell him to say leave me alone? I'm like, yeah, but if it's not punching me, I'll accept. Like, Yeah, he's using his words. Yes. I have a student who will literally leave me alone. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to go sit over here. Um, I'm here if you need me. Um, But just, you know, just let me know. (laughs) And every once in a while, like, I'll... He likes this, uh, we have like those lake shore, like dividers, like the plastic ones. And so like he sits on the other side. So I'll like pop my head over every once in a while. I'm like, you doing okay? And he's like, yes, leave me alone. Okay. I'm still over here if you need me. Uh, but it's better than the alternative. And that's what I always say. Like they're using their communication appropriately. They're telling me what they need. They need space. I'll accept. I don't need you to say please and thank you. I just need you to say something instead of, everything else you were doing. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of those things that you know you're telling us about those come from experience of being in the classroom for years. I mean it, it's it's hard your first couple of years to try to to figure out, you know, the the academic piece and the transition pieces and the you know the sensory needs, but then you throw behavior in there and it's just extremely overwhelming. And I think that's why a lot of special ed teachers get burned out is because of this behavior piece. And with, with the experience, just, you know, going through it year after year after year, you're going to pick up on these little tips and, and techniques to, 
to become better at it. And I, I have, I mean, I know I have, I still, it still frustrates me because I'm not, you know, I still feel like I, there's a lot that I still need to learn even after 26 years. So um, just give it time, I guess would be my, my tip there. And I, I feel like it, it is. It's one of those hard things because at, even as we say, don't take it personally, don't take it personally, you're going to, like you said, you're going to take some of it home. You're going to take it personally. There's been days where, you know, I've come home and I've looked at my husband. I'm like, I just need quiet and I need space. Today was rough. Um, and I do feel like I have the experience and I have the knowledge and I, you know, I feel like I do know what I'm doing, but there are days when I come home and I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how to solve this problem. I don't know what happened, to, but then I'm one of those, like, I need to solve it. I've got to solve this problem um, and I need to help. So, well, it's good to hear yeah. that even you who has the degrees that, you know, you still struggle even. So that's, that's nice to hear. And I think, I think we all need to know that we're not alone in this. We yes. all experience it. And that's what I was going to say, you know, like we're not alone in this and Behave and that's what, behavior plans aren't going to always work. The plan isn't going to always work. Something could have happened at home that they're bringing with them. Something could have happened in PE or on the playground that we have no idea happened until we're mid crisis. And as they're cussing you out, you figure out like what really you know has upset them. There's always going to be things. Maybe they didn't sleep well. Maybe they didn't eat breakfast. Maybe they didn't have dinner either. You know. We have a student whose parents are going through divorce and it is rocking his world. And he doesn't have those, um, the, the communication piece to really explain what he's feeling. So behavior plans are, I love, I mean, I always love them. This is what I do for a living. But it also is important to know everybody's allowed to have bad days. We have bad days as teachers. We have bad days as adults. So it's not always gonna work <laughs> so some days it's really just taking a step back and going this isn't working I've you know I told a teacher the other day I said just stop go play a game like stop your lesson I know you're at like I will go talk to your admin if you need me to like I know as a teacher that's hard to hear like put their book down and like let's skip reading but right now your kid needs you to just be there so let's just be there with him like I'll bring in some Cheetos, but let's play a game and just let this kid know that there is an adult in his life that's constant and steady. Well, you brought up parents a minute ago and, you know, we can't control what's going on outside of our classroom. And I think that's, that's hard as teachers. We want to, we want to make the world perfect for our little kids, but we have to just control what what happens in our classroom. And so I think I like that you said setting up plans and setting up procedures and, you know, being able to control that aspect will go so far with your kids because you like, like you just said, they need that constant in their life. Yes. Just building that trust. So we always hear building the relationships, but it's really goes a lot farther into like building that trusting relationship. So your students know that what you say you're going to do. So if you say you're always going to be there, you're always going to be there. It's also something as little as, you know, if you say, hey, if you, you know, the reinforcement piece, but do they know the reinforcers are actually going to be presented when they do what you ask? Because sometimes I've seen like it doesn't <laughs> happen that way. Yeah. But um, 
a lot of the procedures and protocol I do, that's not really de-escalation related, but it's from Dr. Greg Hanley's research um, on the practical functional assessment. But we spend an entire session on building trust of just if they ask for, and you're going to give them what they ask for, because they need to know when they communicate, you're going to respond with what they need. So it really goes back to building that trust of, you know, I had a student a couple years ago that got moved into one of our social emotional classrooms and the teacher is this sweet lady. And she was like, well, you know, on Fridays I bake cookies and bring in cookies or I don't even remember, but I just remember cookies being involved. And he was like, there is no way you're bringing us cookies. And I remember I was there the following week and he looked at me and he's like, Miss Long, she actually brought us home baked cookies. (laughs) But right then he knew that she actually meant it. Like it wasn't another teacher saying like, I'll give you something. He didn't have to do anything for these cookies. She just brought them cookies every once in a while. But for whatever reason, that was the moment that he was like, oh, she said she was going to bring us cookies. She actually brought us cookies. <laughs> and he knew like this adult I could trust. Whenever you have the 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 crisis, the meltdown, whatever word you want to use there, it is extremely hard not to develop those negative feelings towards a child. And I, I know that there's there's at least one or two children within my career that I still to this day have negative feelings towards just because of, you know, myself not having the the tools of how to deal with it. And so I still have that um, anxious feeling and that that nervous feeling and that upset feeling whenever I think of this child. And so I don't want, I don't want that to ever happen again um, in my career. So how do you, what do you suggest to get rid of those negative feelings that you might have towards a child? Mine always really goes back to remembering why, like, why are they doing it? What is missing? What happened that made them think that this was how they needed to respond? I'll give you a situation. And if this one still gets me and like gets me to the core of, I was sitting in a meeting with a teacher and she was saying, you know, this kid just needs to be punished. He's doing all these things and he just needs a consequence in his life. And he needs this or he needs that. And he needs a parent who's going to, you know, X, Y, and Z. And we've all been there. We've all been in situations where we're like, we wish the parents would do more. We wish this. And so that, and so, you know, it was all about consequences and what this kid needed. And she had very negative feelings about the student. And granted, it was the same situation of she didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to deal with all the things that he was presenting with. But then as you dig a little deeper, you know, he had a mom that was in and out of the picture. There was trauma with the dad. There was a big situation with the dad and they, now dad lives in another, like it was one of those situations where like you just kept peeling back the pieces of the onion of this, there's more and there's more and there's more and there's more trauma. And, you know, there's another instance of like, and I just looked at him like, how do you just not feel sorry for him? Like, I know he's done all of these things, but I just sit there and I'm like, that poor child, like whatever that child has gone through has made him think that this is how he needs to get what he wants out of life. And he was a student who on the surface, looked like he just wanted attention and he just wanted to get out of work. Yes, those are both very true. 
but underneath all of that was so much more. So it's also like you always see like that iceberg. Um, yeah. Representation. Yeah. Of like all these things underneath. And it really is. And so when I have those cases, cause I do, I have students that <laughs> I look back and I'm like, I, I have like two categories. I have the category of, I wish I knew what I know now. Cause I feel like all the time I'm learning new and more stuff. So like, I wish I knew this to help this student. And, and then I also have those cases of, I just don't know what to do with this kid. You know, like, of I look back and I'm like, I, it's the same way of like, you were hard. You were, you know, like you wore me down. I wasn't happy going into work with you and, you know, but I sitting down and when I sit down and think about it, all of those kids had a bigger story than I have in my life. They have dealt with more adversity than I ever have and hopefully ever will. Um, the really, really hard ones always have, for in my experience, always have those stories that will just literally break your heart. So digging in and really figuring out like why they are doing it, what has happened, what are they missing that really has created this and caused this. I wish I could go back, you know, you can't change the past, but I wish I could go back and, you know, put forth more effort into getting, you know, getting to know what had happened in his life to, to make him behave the way he was. And I just, you know, you have those regrets and you can't, I can't change anything, but I can, you know, move forward and, you know, do better now. And I think by sharing these, these tips and tricks and, and strategies with other teachers, I think that goes a long way in, you know, helping others do better in the future. Yes. The motto I always have like rolling in my head is like, no better, do better. I think we all as teachers, we always, like you said, strive to want to do what's best for our kids, create these loving environments, you know, make sure they're happy and they're, ha- you know, they're all those things, but we're, we're, humans, we're going to fail. We're going to have mishaps. We're going to have students that we might miss the mark on. I think we all have those of those kind of like little regrets, but now we know better. So we're going to do better. I like being able to talk with you about this because I don't know, I think teachers, you know, bottle this up sometimes and they don't have that outlet to, you know, share things. I do have a co-teacher and we talk all the time, you know, but a lot of teachers are just kind of on an island by themselves. And so my suggestion to them would just be to reach out and, you know, get on social media and get on, you know, research podcasts like this one where you can get, where you know that you're not alone in, in this journey. Yes. I was going to say the same thing. Social media is huge. Um, I don't know. There, I mean, there's, I don't know where I would be without the teacher gram. <laughs> like, I remember I, you know, I had a friend who was like, you need to do a blog or you need to do this. And I was like, I don't know if that's for me. And then I joined, you know, like Instagram with like a teacher account. And I met all these amazing, wonderful people like Cassie from Adventures in Behavior. Like we talk all the time. Like she is my person because she knows what I've gone through. Because like I said, I'm the only one in my division. So I feel like half the time I'm out there floating around on an island, but I, it is so important to like find people, no matter if you've met in person or not, but like find people that you really can like talk through all this with and like just somebody who understands because 
I love my husband, but he doesn't understand what I do. Like, and he tries, he tries so hard (laughs) and he will listen all day long, but I need somebody who understands like what it feels like. Mine always wants to try to fix things. He wants to, you know, what can we do to fix this? I'm like, there's no way to fix this. This is not, you know, he's like, well, um, can you not just spank the child? And I'm like, you don't understand. You don't, you don't get it. And so it is, it is so needed to be able to talk to somebody that actually does get it. I am, I don't know. I, I love this episode and behavior. Like I told you before is not my, um, niche area, I guess. I'm, I'm glad it's yours. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all of your knowledge with us. And I'm going to take some of these tips and put them into action. Thank you so much for having me. I could talk about this obviously nonstop because I feel like I do. (laughs) I'll have to have you on the show again and we can, you know, kind of dive into, do you use like um, the zones of regulation? Um, I do a different uh, self-regulation pieces. I do a little bit of zones of regulation, um, but I kind of pull pieces from all over instead of one set curriculum. So where can the listeners find you if they want to follow you? And do you have, I know that you're like starting a course on the, you know, co-regulation and de-escalation pieces. So just share with us about um, where we can learn from you more. Um, So definitely find me on Instagram. It's caffeinated behavior change and Facebook. Um, And then I also have a YouTube channel that I recently started that has about five minute videos. Um, I have one on a few on de-escalation and tips and tricks for that. Um, so those are the big three. I also have a website that has a blog. Um, again, just caffeinatedbehaviorchange.com. All right. Well, thank you, Kaylin, so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for sticking with me until the end. I can tell just by listening to this show that you are just as dedicated to the field of special education as I am, and you want to grow into an amazing educator, and I'm here for it. I'm here for you, and I am so thrilled to be able to share all of my wisdom of being a veteran SPED teacher on the SPED Prep Academy podcast. If you are enjoying the show and want to share it with your friends, go ahead and screenshot an image of your favorite episode and tag me on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the show and leave a review. They give an instant boost to my ego and help others find the show as well. And I'd love it if you'd join us in the private Sped Prep Academy Facebook community. We are just getting started, but it's a safe space where special educators and related service providers can talk shop. If you liked what you heard today and realized you found your SPED soulmate, please subscribe and then head over to spedprepacademy.com slash podcast to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. Go out and have an amazing day and I'll catch you on the next episode.